0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at ShorelineCC.com. Today we start a new series, and it's a series that, that takes its name from the season that started this past Wednesday. How many know this past Wednesday was, uh, was Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lenten season? And we, we opened up our auditorium from 11 to 1 for a time of prayer when people coming together and praying. But Lent season is a practice that, that the church, the body of Christ, has, has been practicing in, in an effort to prepare our hearts for Easter. Now, when we think about preparing our hearts for Easter, we're not talking about making sure you have enough Easter cards and you have enough Easter candy and Easter eggs, though. Who doesn't enjoy those? But we're talking about the greater thing, the purpose, preparing our hearts by reminding us who we are, reminding us who God is, and reminding us of what Jesus did at Easter when he gave his life for us, and he conquered death and sin forever and rose from the grave. Amen? We need preparation for that because you know, I think one of the conditions of humanity is that we have a tendency to forget things, don't we? We have a tendency to, to kind of take things for granted. I mean, how many of you remember, you know, when you had that, that, that first date with that person that you care about, and that first date, it's like, you know, it is game on, and you are bringing your best, and you're just, you know, you're making sure that everything is together, and you're so excited. But as time goes on, it can be easy to kind of lose that initial joy, right? Right. Or maybe not for you guys. (laughs) Or the job, the job you prayed for that two years down the line, you're like, why am I complaining? I I prayed for this. You know? And even for things as wonderful as children, we can say, Lord, thank you for our children. And then five years in, it's like, why aren't they obeying me all the time? Right? So we need to be reminded. Maybe that's not you. We need to be reminded of the power and the life of Easter because it is the life-changing events that happen. It requires preparation. It requires preparation in our heart. And this is what we see when we look at the Gospels. When we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have this key figure that appears at the, at the beginning of each book, some in chapter 1, some in chapter 3. But at the beginning, we have this character, John the Baptist. How many know I'm talking about John the Baptist? Now John the Baptist, he's the cousin of Jesus, and he's, he lives in the wilderness. Uh, he enjoys locusts and honey. Hopefully, he was dipping them in the honey. I think that would help a lot going through. He wore camel hair, and he had this one message from God, this one message, and this, this is at Matthew 3, 2. Read this with me. Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John the Baptist, he was going throughout preaching this message, repent and be baptized. This was what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about him. And he was baptizing people, and people were responding. They were actually showing up, and they were being baptized. Jewish people, non-Jewish people, repenting of their sins. What is going on? Why were people showing up to this I'll call him a centric character in camel hair with the smell of honey and locusts on his breath saying, repent and be baptized. Why were they showing up? Well, to give you a bit of background, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are a people that were chosen by God to represent who he is to the world. But to this period in time, when John the Baptist shows up, they'd experienced something that they hadn't experienced in their history. And it was Silence. See, the nation of Israel, they were used to prophets who, who were called by God and that were vessels that the Lord spoke through to his people, giving direction, giving instruction, and at times correction, and leading through. But for 400 years, we call this period the intertestamental period, there was nothing. There was, there was silence. The last prophet that they had known about to this time was the prophet Malachi. Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. It goes from Malachi to Matthew. And his last words weren't all just joy, joy words. They were were words of judgment. And there were two key things that the prophet Malachi honed in on to the nation of Israel. And one was in disobedience. Malachi 3.7 says, you have turned aside from my statutes, that's the law of the Lord, and have not kept them. And the other thing that Malachi talks about is how the nation of Israel were robbing God. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, "'How have we robbed you? "'In your tithes and contributions. "'You are cursed with a curse, "'for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. "'Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, "'that there may be food in my house.'" And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So pretty strong words, but also in that there was a test. You're robbing me, and you're disobeying me. But Malachi, because God is so gracious, he also gives the people hope. See, this section of judgment is, is prefaced by hope And here's those words of hope. Malachi chapter three, verse one says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will what? Prepare the way. The louder you say it, the warmer we're all gonna be. Prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then a few verses later, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Aren't you so glad? Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And then in chapter 4, Malachi says this. The Lord, speaking through Malachi, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Who is this prophet like Elijah? It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. See, the Messiah is about to jump into history, changing everything, radically changing everything as an answer to 400 years of silence, as an answer to what all the people are praying for. But there's a major problem because the people aren't ready for it. They've been experiencing 400 years of silence. And in this intertestamental period that's going on, there was a lot of things that changed in the middle of that. See, during the beginning of this period... The area was overtaken by Alexander the Great. How many of you remember him from your history lessons? Just a word of advice, I wish I paid more attention to my history. I thought my history teacher was boring in high school. Sorry, history teachers. The older I've gotten, I was like, man, this is exciting stuff. Why didn't he tell me? And Alexander the Great, he gave the Jewish people, he gave them religious freedom, but he also required that they fuse with it the Greek culture. That they would promote it and they would mix it together and This was not a good turn of events for Israel since the Greek culture, it was worldly, uh, it was humanistic, and it was very ungodly. It was polytheistic. It had many gods. And then, fast forward around 63 BC, Pompey of Rome conquered Israel, putting all of Judea under the control of the Caesars. This eventually led to Herod being made king of Judea by the Roman Emperor and Senate. And this is the nation where those of you who are students of the Bible, This was a nation that heavily taxed the Jewish people and eventually even executed the the Messiah on a Roman cross. And during this span of of Greek and Roman occupations, this was a time when two political and religious groups emerged within Israel. And these were two groups that were continually called out by Jesus. The, The first group was the Pharisees. This was a group of religious leaders that they took the Old Testament writings, but they also added their own laws. You remember, Jesus, he talks about that, how you add to it and you, and you cause it to be a burden. But then they also, there was also this group called the Sadducees, and th- this group represented the aristocrats and the wealthy, and they liked to wield their power, and, and they even rejected most of the Old Testament, only taking the writings of Moses. And many theologians even described them as being more aligned with the Greeks because they greatly admired them. You know, and all of this, it caused both the Jews and the pagans in this culture of distrust where we see religious leaders just making all these rules and putting on it, and we see politicians just, just taxing us and wanting to put it in to where there was really this atmosphere of nobody trusted anybody. Kind of sounds a lot like today, isn't it? Isn't trust tough today, right? We see all this stuff happening. It's like, Lord, who could I trust? There's nothing new under the sun. And as a result we find this, this setting where, where Greeks and Romans were even questioning the validity of their polytheism and all their m- mythologies. And the Jewish people were like, can we trust the religious leaders? Because, oh, it's just, it's, it's hard. And it's at this time in God's perfect timing that he breaks the silence and John the Baptist enters the scene and he, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And then verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire Jesus anoint your words today may they be power to our lives not just a history lesson but Lord your word is true it is powerful so Lord anoint it and Lord anoint me today empower me to speak your words your truth not just my ideas but Lord let it be your words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Do your work in us today. And everyone said together? Amen, amen. amen. So John shows up, and he's, he's called by God to prepare the way for the, for the Lord. Because as the prophet Isaiah described, that there's this great light coming. There's going to be this establishing of a new kingdom with justice and righteousness. And see, God, he's getting ready to, pre- to prepare not just the nation of Israel, but the entire world. But there's an important lesson here that we need to pay attention to. And the, less, the lesson is this, that p- the provision of God, it requires the preparation of God. Say that with me. The provision of God requires the preparation of God. See, it's not enough to just give something to somebody. I mean, we, we're surrounded with all sorts of good things. Provision is laying, this literally laying in front of us. And the word of the Lord says that God is faithful, I love what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And then Numbers 23, it says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he, does he promise and not fulfill? So the question here is not, has God provided? The question is, do we see God's provision. Do we see what God is providing? Because human history is a history of people who have, who have missed what God is saying, doing, and providing. And, and I'll, I'll stand before you and say, guilty as charged, I've missed stuff that God is doing. There's times that the Lord has done things, He's provided things, but I wanted to take it and run and go and say, thank you, God, I got it from here and I'll see you. But see, the Lord knows that we need to be prepared. I mean, after all, this is the role of every good parent, right? Parents are not just given a child and say, thank you, God, for providing this child. But the role of every good parent is to prepare their child, to do what it says in Proverbs 22, 6, to train up a child in the way they should go. This has been the role that I've had with, with all of my parents. My prayer every morning is, God, help me to lead them, to, to love you, to love each other, and to grow from boys to men. I'm not talking about the 90s hip-hop group. And from, from a girl to a woman of God, to love the Lord. Because, see, if, if I don't prepare my kids for that next level, may God have mercy on all of your souls. Because they will be just a dysfunctional mess because I've not prepared them well. That's why, just so you know, moms and dads, every time that I see you correcting your kids, I'm like, great job. <laughs> well done, you know. For all of us, Why? That's the tough work of parenting, isn't it? Right? I'd love to spend my days hiking trails or fishing or walking or just playing with them. But I don't get to be just the fun dad. I need to prepare them. I need to get them ready for adulthood so that they can be what the Lord has called them to do. Because see, all this preparation is so important because provision without preparation, it only increases the problems in our life. If we just provide or we just take the provision, but we don't take the preparation, there's going to be a world of hurt and a world of mess, right? How many, the last thing you read is the owner's manual? You're like, I, I got this. Power saw, what could happen, right? We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. You know, I, as I was doing this, this may seem like a weird illustration, but I was thinking about one of my aunts who loved to play the lottery. And she was, she, was, uh, she was like, I mean, British all the way through. You walk in her house, and there was a huge picture of the king, huge picture of the queen. I grew up in northeastern Canada, so, so the, the British culture and history was very well alive. I mean, it was like she had the, the teacups with the king and queen on it. And then one time, she came to our house because she had, had a doctor's appointment, so we lived closer to the doctor. She came with us. And there was a certain time that came, and all of a sudden, she pulled out her lottery ticket. And she sat right in front of the TV. See, that was back when, like, it was things that were on TV. If you missed it, you missed it. And kids are like, <gasps> but it was, she was with her lottery ticket, and she was looking at it, and she was, she was watching it, and I've, I've never seen her so excited in my life. She's a wonderful. And she was watching and watching and watching and watching. And, I, and then I began to take note, and, like, and when we were in the community that she lived, my parents had a little cabin there. We'd go and watch, and there were some times I'd love to go at that time just to kind of see her, kind of getting in, in, in front, you know, and I'd ask her, hey, can I have a cookie? She's like, in, in a minute. <laughs> she never said in a minute, but she was watching and looking. And I, I thought as a kid, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, wouldn't it be awesome if she won? And she won all that money, and maybe she'd give something to me as a little kid. But, you know, as I began to grow up, and as I began to go through and pay attention, I began to see that money is not the answer for everything, and we be, I begin to see stories about people who won the lottery thinking that would fix everything, and their life didn't get better. Their life actually got worse. Did you know that the National Endowment for Financial Education estimates that 70% of lottery winners actually go bankrupt within a few years? And we've seen that. Why? Because if you are not prepared for the provision, the provision without preparation can actually make things worse isn't that true and it's so important that we catch this because see a responsible loving response to a need should always be accompanied by preparation see if we miss this we're gonna miss seeing God the, the, the Bible, this, this is a new believer's Bible that we hand out to everybody. And it's got so many tools and it. it's got the word of God in it, but it also has tools, how to read it, how to share it, and how we interpret it and questions to ask and how to engage in it. Because we want to make sure that people are prepared to read and not just read, but to let the living word of God be inside of our hearts. This is a book of preparation. See, God loves us too much not to prepare us. That's why the greater the gift, the greater the preparation. The greater the gift, the more powerful the gift, the more preparation it is. See, there are some things that I can learn in a year. But if you showed up for a doctor's visit and you saw me there and you said, what was your training? If I said, well, I've been studying it for the last six months, what would you do? Hopefully, you would get up and leave and call Stephanie and say, he's lost it because there's no way you could be prepared for that. And it seems silly, but sometimes we treat this provision that we have. It's like, why do I need to be prepared? Why do I need to walk forward with it? Because the greater the provision, the greater the preparation. And this was the challenge because when we asked the question, what were the people being prepared for? The answer came from John the Baptist. He said, you're being prepared for the way of the Lord. And when he said those words, the way of the Lord, to the Jewish nation, they immediately associated it with their kingdom right there and then. See, the way of the Lord in their minds meant the promise of a new kingdom right here and right now. And they even had scripture to back it up. Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy that they all knew well, says this, it says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. See, one of the main questions that Jesus got on this earth, especially from Jewish people in that day, is they would say, Jesus, will you now set up your kingdom? Will you now set up your kingdom? And even one of the last questions that the disciples asked Jesus before he ascended into heaven was in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, where they said, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, this was a persecuted people, they were so oppressed that naturally they would focus on the day. I mean, when you're, when you're being taxed heavily, when you have to kind of watch where you go and what you do, and there's always eyes watching you, and there are even people that should be friends that have been employed by the Roman government to, to watch you. Then, of course, your prayer is, Jesus, are you going to overthrow them? And especially from Peter. Remember the guy who pulled the sword? He's like, Jesus, will you now? And they had memories even from that 400 years of silence where there was this Maccabean revolt, That kind of things got so bad where they're like, we need to fight because the temple was being defiled and there were pagan sacrifices taking place. And they're like, Jesus, are you going to be our mighty warrior that we can destroy those guys over there? And don't get me wrong, daily provision is important. Jesus assures us in Matthew 6, and we open our service today with this. When Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then Jesus said, are you not much more valuable than they are? Jesus cares about your need. And as Christians, we're called to share. The early church came together, and they brought everything as they had it, and they shared so that no one went without. So it's not saying that those things are not important. They are. That's why Christians throughout the world are the biggest humanitarian efforts of feeding. Wherever you find people needing hope or needing help, you will find Christians on the front lines here in Seattle or overseas because they're valuable to God. But see, Jesus calling his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. It went beyond the day-to-day affairs. He's like, yes, you will be fed. But the way the Lord focuses on a different kingdom, and Jesus outlines this in John 18, verse 19 through 21. Let's read this together. Read this with me. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus kept telling his disciples, it's not of this world. There's more to this life than just what you see, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But do what? Store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Read this last verse with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure, and this is kind of an old leadership principle, right? You can tell what somebody values by looking at their calendar and looking at, used to be their checkbook, right? But most of you are like, what in the world's a checkbook? But basically, where you spend your money, where you spend your time. But The Bible is very clear, and James even says this, that life is temporal. It's a mist. It's a vapor. And all the prophets all the apostles and all of their writings, they point us to something greater. See, heaven is what Jesus is preparing us for. Heaven, the eternal place that we are all meant to be. That's why in all of his miracles, in all of Jesus' encounters with people, he loved them, he provided for them, he even protected them. But his focus, his aim, was always that they would be reconciled to God. To the woman caught in adultery, I love it. The first thing he did, he protected her and got rid of all the men that were just trying to take advantage of her. He protected her, but what were his last words to her? Now go and sin no more. See, we help, we protect. We're there for people, but we point them to what God has, that reconciliation, go and sin no more. To the paralytic man in Matthew 9, he said, your sins are forgiven. And even on the cross, he looked at the thief and said, you will be with me today in paradise. And with the people surrounding, he said, Lord, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He could have come down from the cross. He could have snapped his fingers like Thanos and destroyed everything. But that's not his goal. His goal is not to destroy our enemies. His goal is that they would be reconciled and that we would be agents of change wherever we go. Now there's a day coming, there's a reckoning, there's a day of judgment. The Bible says don't think he's slow as some think slow. He's waiting because his desire is that none will perish. None will perish. See, the mission of Jesus and our mission is to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to prepare us for heaven. This is the way of the Lord. But in order to join Jesus in this way, we have to let go of the things of this world. 1 John says it this way. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the, the desires of the eye and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from this world. See, Jesus said challenging things like this wherever he went. When the rich young ruler came to him and he said, I've done all these things, Jesus, what else do I need to do? He looked at him. He had discernment that money was a thing that owned him. Money's not bad. The love of money is evil. But he looked at the rich young ruler and said, Now go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come back to me. He couldn't have said a harder thing to him. (laughs) Those who were consumed with their family. Should we love our family? Absolutely. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus, he's not contradicting scripture and he's not even contradicting himself because he called the children to come unto me instead of such is the kingdom of heaven. But what he's saying is that if we don't seek him first, if we don't place him first, if I as a dad do not place Jesus first, I will never be the dad I'm called to be. If I don't put Jesus first, there's no way I can be the husband I'm supposed to be. If I don't seek God first in all things, there's no way that I can be a pastor. There's no way I can do anything. I, it's only as Jesus is alive in me. And this is what this season of Lent is all about seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and then Jesus has His promise he will give you everything that you need everything that you need see this past Wednesday as I mentioned earlier was was the beginning of Lent this, this 40 days not counting Sundays where we need to prepare our hearts because if not we can just get caught up in doing one thing after the other. For those of us who's grown up in church, we know the deal, right? We got palm branches for Palm Sunday. Then we got Easter. We got Easter eggs. And those are all great things. But I believe the Lord is preparing us for the season that we're coming into. And for some of you, you may be coming out of a season of silence. You're like, God, where are you? Maybe it's your, your physical pain or your emotional pain or, or maybe you're just dry. We talked a little bit about that last week. My prayer is that in this season, even in the dryness, the Lord will take it and he will use it. Even in your pain, the Lord will take it and use it if you give it to him and you put it to one side, just like the Hebrew young men in the furnace. They're, you know, God can... Rescue me from this furnace," they said to the king. But even if he doesn't, (laughs) I'm not going to bow to your idol. Put in our common language today, I'm not going to give in to the things of this world. But I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. See, we're heading into a season, and I think especially in the season that we're in, especially in the city that we're in, there is so much polytheism. There's so much combination of Christianity with the things of this world. There's so many half-truths. The best lie is the half-truth. Because it sounds right. Jesus is calling you out to a life that is unimaginable. It's not an easy life. But it's a life filled with his power, his strength, his mission. But the call is the same. Repent. Get rid of the stuff. And be baptized. See, baptism, when John was doing baptism to the Jewish mind, they knew that this was like a ceremonial cleansing that enabled them to go and to worship the Lord. Now for us today, the Bible says that we are now his temple because he lives in us. But water baptism continues, and Jesus told his disciples to continue to do this because it's a public confession. And it's that physical representation of I am a new person. And so there's two responses I want to encourage you in today. And they're both up here at these tables, right there, right there, and there's one up in the the back of the balcony. And there's two things on there. The first thing is communion. And what I would encourage you to do, because the Bible talks about when we receive communion, it's examining our heart, it's examining our life. Where we say, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to confess to you? Because there's known sins, known things that we're out of alignment because we feel the shake a little bit. And, but sometimes there are things we're not even aware. Have you, ever, have you ever done things you're like, I didn't even know I was doing that? This is a time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak and say, what are the things I need to get right? What are the things I need to pour into? So I want to encourage you in a moment to go to receive communion, to take the bread that Jesus gave his life for that. Confess it to Jesus. And then drink of the cup, his blood for you. Fresh again, Lord, forgive me. Flow through me. Reveal to me the things that are getting in the way, that are hidden from me, the things I've pushed to the side. And the other response is is baptism. You can't talk about John the Baptist and not give an opportunity for baptism. Maybe for you, you've never been baptized This is your opportunity. Say, Lord, I want to be baptized. I want this community. I'm telling you, the water is warmer than you're feeling right now, okay? It is a heated baptismal tank. Maybe you need something for the first time. But maybe you're going, Lord, I'm I'm feeling dry or maybe I'm feeling this excitement and I just want to confess to the entire community, my life is the Lord's. I want to be used. I want to position my life. I want to be an example to other people and I want to be baptized. I've been baptized myself several times because it is that renewal, it is that commitment, it is that public community. God does things in community. Christianity is not a solo sport. It is a community calling event, being together. And in front of God and this community, I'm standing, I'm ready to go. We have such an opportunity. This is my neighborhood that I walk and I pray over and I see all the new people. I see the nations arriving. I'm like, Lord, please prepare us because we can only do this through you. We can only do this as we cast aside everything and we lay hold of the things of God. Communion and then sign up for baptism. I'm praying that we run out of room on the sheets of paper. That's my encouragement. That's my challenge to you today. As the worship team leads us, can we stand together and even kind of rub our hands as we get ready? <laughs> Jesus, we hear your call. Speak, Lord. We, your servants, we are listening. Would you say that prayer with me? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And Lord, we want to be ready for the season that you are leading us, Shoreline Community Church, all the churches, Lord, Lord in that mission to seek and to save through the power of Jesus in us. Lord, I don't want to miss, more than anything, Lord, I want to be aligned with you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to see lives changed. I want to see Christians strengthened using the gifts that you've put into them. Lord, I want to see, Lord, your house filled with people who are coming to Christ because we are in a a community that needs you, so desperately needs you. So Lord, use us as we now lead the way through communion of repenting every revival that's ever taken place every awakening that's ever taken place it has begun with the body of Christ confessing their sin, their hurts, their habits, their hang-ups because we all have them and when we walk in alignment the bible even says that that daily confession should be a part of all you even says confess one to another that you may be healed the confession and alignment that should be our constant because the Lord is always bringing us into greater alignment right this is the way when we're young we're walking the path like this right we're all over the road but the more we walk with Jesus the more we confess he tightens that walk it's strengthening as we go if you if you came forward or you haven't come forward yet we have lots let me encourage you to not leave this place without responding to that. Or maybe the Lord's spoken to you and maybe you need to confess to somebody. Here's an idea of how to do that. Say, Pastor Dwayne, talked about this today. I want to be in alignment with God. I want to walk in alignment with, with, in unity, in love, alignment with Jesus, loving our neighbor. Maybe you need to grab two and go to that person who's here or who's not here and say, can we receive communion together? Let me confess to you, I'm sorry. I want to walk in right relationship. That's when great things take place. We have lots of it. Take it. We even have these New Believers Bible. If the Lord's placed someone in your heart that you're like, Lord, give me the words. Give me boldness, not pride. But Lord, just your words to share with somebody. Grab one of these New Believers Bibles and hand it out. We've been handing those out. I'd like to buy more of these because we're handing them out. Come, get one. Bring it to somebody. Say, here's the word of the Lord. has some great things in it. I've even had people look up and say, I've never seen a Bible like this that just explains things to me before. Yes, make sure that you're doing that, amen? Amen, walk in the Lord. Be filled with his spirit. Be filled with his joy and taste and see that the Lord is good, amen? Thank you for being here today. Thank you for warming up this place (laughs) as we walk through This is our benediction. Let's say this today as as we leave this place today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now as you go, live for Jesus. Love you all so much. God bless you all.